to be successful at this sport, you have to enjoy it. You have to find the training environment that's right for you, not for anyone else. I'm not one of these people that will bang on in social media about how wonderful things are and stuff. It's very much, yeah. If I have to tell people every day how happy I am and how great <laughs> things are, then maybe, maybe there's something wrong. Every race I did last year, the question that every commentator would say is, so has your life been transformed since you were on the podium? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, no. My life was good beforehand. I got a little bit extra money from sponsors afterwards. But ultimately, I just did the same stuff every day. Was life was good before, and life was good after. That's champion triathlete and Kona contender David McNamee this week on Inner Voice. What's up, everybody? This is Travis McKenzie, and I'm very happy to be back. It's been a few months since you've heard from me and from the team here at Inner Voice. It was an amazing summer. I was lucky enough to spend a lot of time at races, meeting and conversing with super interesting athletes and innovators from the endurance sports world. One thing that stood out for me in meeting so many high performers was mindset. I've said this before on the show, but hosting these conversations really allows me to turn a mirror on myself and learn from the best. I'm so grateful to have had the time with world-class performers, and I look forward to sharing those conversations with you over the coming weeks and months. I'm convinced that you'll also be able to learn how you can develop your own winning formula and master your own inner voice. With that in mind, I was so happy to chat to today's guests. David McNamee. David has finished third at the Ironman World Championships in Kona for the last two years. For even the most informed fan of the sport, David's story isn't one that gets a lot of airtime. As you'll hear, he's happy to fly under the radar and definitely beats to the sound of his own drum. We cover many topics and dig into David's singular focus on this weekend's race and some of the secrets of his performance. One of the secrets that I've been privy to is his fueling and nutrition plan for intense workouts. He's been using the world's first commercially available carbohydrate mouth rinse product presented by Unit Nutrition. Commonly used by Olympians, high-performing triathletes and elite coaches, a mouth rinse product has not been made commercially available until now. Unit Rinse has played a big role in David's build-up to Kona, and as you'll hear, he never fails during workouts when he uses Unit Nutrition Rinse. A simple 5-10 to second rinse stimulates carbohydrate receptors in the mouth, which activates areas of the brain associated with pleasure, reward, motivation, and motor control. This, in turn, reduces the perception of fatigue and increases power output, resulting in a performance boost. I've been lucky enough to try unit rinse over the last few months in my intense workouts and I am convinced. But you don't have to take me or David at our word. Carbohydrate mouth rinsing is backed by decades of scientific research and unit rinse comes with a money back guarantee. And now you can give it a try for yourself. Until October 15th, unit is giving listeners a 24 pack of rinse to help them close out the year in style. Simply head to unitnutrition.com and enter the code innervoice at checkout and voila, a free 24-pack of unit rinse is all yours. You can try any of their great flavors. My personal favorite is Root Beer Float. All you do is pay for shipping, and within a couple of days, your product will arrive just in time for your full marathon or to fuel your early morning workouts in the dark as the weather starts to turn for us here in the Northern Hemisphere. That's unitnutrition.com and use the code innervoice. Right, let's get into the show with David McNamee. You'll hear David loosen up as we get going on this conversation. The banter starts to flow and you'll see a humble, soulful champion emerge. I'm very excited to be talking to David McNamee 
here today. Uh, David's in beautiful, sunny Hawaii, and I'm sitting here rugged up in my living room in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, David, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good. I've been back on the island for three days, so still fighting the jet lag a little bit. But yeah, I'm good. It's Yeah, it's good to be here, ready to sort of race. As expected, I'm guessing the weather's probably uh 30 degrees 80 percent humidity uh as it is day by day on uh, on the island the beauty of hawaii you know exactly what clothes to pack beforehand because every year is the same 30 31 degrees loss of humidity and yeah it's very much shorts and vest weather yeah absolutely now mate i i think it's probably fair to say that you could quite possibly be the most underrated triathlete in the world uh, how do you feel about that uh, yeah, it's something that a lot of people say, and I think, yeah, I think people, even though I've been in the podium twice here in the last two years, even last year people were shocked by that. Even though I'd been in the podium in 2017, I'm a guy that loves to focus on the World Championships on Hawaii, and all my years based around coming here in my best shape and maybe I don't have the performances throughout the season that shows that I have the form for it but yeah people have short memories if you can get on the podium here one year you can do it every single year yeah absolutely I think that's a yeah a good way to put it people have short memories and I, I guess looking at it as a positive it probably also gives you the opportunity to miss some of the hoopla and some of the you know the extra uh, pressure and attention that might come your way if you know if people had a bit more of a sense of your ability. Yeah, I think so. I think very much people have short memories, as we said, and yeah, just because I always seem to come here underneath the radar, it means I can avoid a part of the spotlight. Obviously, you know, as years go by, there is more media attention, but yeah, for sure, it's nice to sort of have that little extra breathing space just to relax yeah now when did you um get into triathlon or how did you get into triathlon i know that scotland's not really a hotbed of uh endurance sports or triathlon but how did you uh originally get into the sport i came from a swimming background and when i was 18 i did i entered like not even a sprint triathlon not even a shorter one uh, in Britain, we call it like novice distance. And yet, I sort of really just got the bug from that. I think so. Sort of triathlon is very much something, once you try, you either fall in love with and think this is awesome, or you hate and think that was stupid, <laughs> never going to do that again. So yeah, it was very much sort of being bored from just following the black line up and down a pool to wanting to try and do something different. Yeah. And then, um, you know, for me growing up in Australia, triathlon was, you know, a sport that people did. And I did my first race when I was eight years old. So it was something that my dad was a triathlete. So I was able to look up to him. Did you have any mentors or heroes or people that you looked up to when you first got into the sport and and maybe in the first few years as you were developing yourself as a triathlete? No, I think because I entered at the age of 18, I didn't really have any... My heroes came from the swimming pool. My heroes were the sort of the Australians like Grant Hackett and Ian Thorpe, the distant swimmers, because when I was young and, you know, age 10, 11, really sort of 
focused in swimming. These were the people that were dominating. And yeah, when you're young, especially sort of seeing these great superstars, especially sort of coming from the other side of the world from Australia, these were the guys that I wanted to be. It was very much Ian Thorpe, Grant Hackett. Yeah, love it. Uh, you want, you're not alone because that was uh, that was quite a lot of f- people in Australia as well. Now, um, was that your focus? So you mentioned you know spending a lot of time from 10, 11 years old um, wanting to be a swimmer. Was it you know Olympic Games, Commonwealth Games? Like was that the focus for you as uh, as a youth athlete? Uh, very much so. I joined the swimming club when I was eight, and yeah, after a couple of years, I started to get quite a lot of success and I think that was a part of sort of it wasn't necessarily a great thing because as soon as I got a taste of success I was so driven even at a young age that I probably just overtrained and yeah from the age of 10 to 14 I had a lot of success in swimming but yeah eventually at the age of 14 I sort of stopped improving and I look back now and it was very much yeah just because of my drive and my mum was very supportive and she would do whatever I wanted, especially sort of tell me out training wise. Yeah. I look back and the age of 10, I was probably swimming 12 times a week in the pool, uh, doing crazy volume. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that very much sort of gave me short term success in the pool, but very much, I think limited sort of the final destination. And and taking that in into account and and thinking forward now to your your time as a as a triathlete, do you think back to that time of overtraining and overdoing it and um, maybe over racing and 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 use that what you learned as a kid to propel your training now as a triathlete? Yeah, I think it's taken me a lot of time to realise this. It's not something that sort of instantly hit me in the face, and yeah especially the last sort of two or three years. And I think that's where I've maybe found the most progression is that I've learned to listen to my body and really realize that there comes a limit. You know, as endurance athletes, we're so sort of determined to push and push, but there comes a limit where you just need to back off and relax and let the body recover and all sort of push yourself that sort of greater destination. Mm-hmm. Now, do you work with a coach or are you self-coached now, self-guided? Uh, so, it's a bit of a mixture. So, for cycling, I have a coach. He's here with me in Hawaii. He's one of my best friends. His name's Alex Vega, and he's very much from a cycling background. He's the sports director of one of the cycling teams, and he's been involved in pro cycling for 20 years. Swimming, it's very much my own because I've swam since I was eight for a club. i yeah, 24 years as a swimmer, it's sort of, yeah. If I haven't learnt how to sort of <laughs> swim yet, then I never will. And then, yeah, running's a bit of a mixture between me and Alex. Uh, physiologically, he knows very much sort of what I need to do and sort of uh, how to periodise things. But I know sort of the sessions that really sort of inspire me to sort of get there. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit of a mixture and I think ultimately it works just because he's also one of my best friends and he understands me. Yeah, I think it's not for everyone. So yeah, that's how we work and you know, it's showed over the years that 
you know, it's beneficial. Mm-hmm. And now I believe you're based in Girona now. You've kind of got out of the Scottish uh, the Scottish <laughs> scene a little bit. Um, tell me about Girona. It's obviously, you know, it is actually a hotbed for endurance athletes, you know, it became a, a cycling destination or a place for pro cyclists to, to live year really around and now a lot more triathletes as well. Tell me about Girona and, and what that's been like for uh, for you. For me, Girona's been... I've been there for four years, and it's very much, yeah, I needed to sort of leave Scotland, not A, because of the weather, and B, yeah, living in Scotland, you spent most of your winter flying to Spain for training camps, and I wanted a place to call home and to be based throughout the year, and I first came to Joan in 2010 for a training camp, and yeah, I suppose that gave me the initial idea to sort of, oh, that's a good area. And just knowing the cyclists that had been in the area, I knew sort of, well, the cycling's good, swimming, there's always a pool, and I'll go and see what the running's like. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's been four years, and it, for me, it's a great place to be based. You know, the swimming pools, the cycling's incredible, and the running's good. Yeah. And yeah. My life is very much there now. Yeah, that's great. Now, um, you mentioned your mum, you mentioned Alex. Are there any other people that you, um, you know, you would look at as supporters or people who've helped you get to the place you are today? I think it's always been, I think ultimately you always look back on your coaches and stuff. I think, you know, I look back on my early swim coaches who, you know, these were people, especially in Scotland, it's not 95% of coaches, they're not paid. Mm-hmm. They're doing it just because they love the sport and they want to help out. And it's not until you look back, you realize the sacrifices these people make. You know, my first swim coach, she'd be at the pool at six o'clock every morning, not being paid. Mm-hmm. She just, and you know, as a young athlete, you just take it for granted. And it's looking back now thinking these are the people that sort of helped make me who I am today. It's the people that sort of, yeah, sacrifice their time and efforts for absolutely nothing just because, you know, they want to see you succeed and not just in sports, but in life. And yeah, these are the people that sort of very much, they're the driving force behind sports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think it's, you know, for anyone out there who is listening, who, you know, does have a coach or has had those mentors or people that have supported them, it, it is worth reaching out and saying thank you um, and, and, and recognizing that because a lot of athletes, you know, particularly athletes who have come to the sport at a, at a later age, don't have that background that you have um, and, and being able to, you know, coach yourself in swimming and things like that. So, there is a, a reliance on people who have built up a skill set over quite a number of years, so um, it's it's always nice to see. Now, I do get a, I get a sense that you know you have a quiet confidence um, and you truly believe that you can win in Kona. Tell me tell me about that. Tell me what drives that that true belief in yourself that you, that you can win this race. Uh, I think it's a mixture. It's very much it's the World Championships, and I know I come here every year in the best shape I have been ever and this year I feel I'm in better shape than I was last year and last year obviously with the third place that sort of looks well for this year but you know 
it's Hawaii, so you never know how the race will unfold. And I think it's because I look back on this year, I know everything's, I did everything to the best of my ability. And that sits as that I'm very much driven to be the best and to be the best on the biggest day, and that's next weekend. And I look back on the last eight, nine months of work and, you know, that gives me confidence. I'm not looking back thinking, I wish I did this, this and this, and oh, maybe I shouldn't have, you know, did that session or maybe I should have sort of changed my diet somehow. I look back in the last eight, nine months and think, I did everything I could. Mm-hmm. And that's that's ultimately what gives me the confidence is looking back on the work that I've did and realising there's nothing I would change. It's an interesting mindset, David, and I think you'll agree because I think a lot of amateur uh, athletes probably have the opposite feeling. They'll, you know, they may trick themselves into feeling like they're in the best shape that they they think they are or they or that they they have been. But it, you know, when things get hard, you know, 30k into the marathon, all of a sudden those thoughts come around, oh man, I wish I had of, you know, lost a bit more weight or I wish I've done more training or I wish I had of done this or what have you. Um, how do you, you know, it sounds like you actually avoid those negative thoughts as they come up. Like, what is that mindset for you and have you had to develop that over time? I think it's been developed over time. I think it's having confidence in myself as an athlete, confidence in the people that I work with, that we've did everything possible to be here in the best shape. And I think that's ultimately it, is that if you have confidence in yourself and the training approach, but also confidence in the people around you. And I'm lucky in that the people that are around me helping me, they don't bullshit. Mm-hmm. If they think I'm in bad shape or I'm doing something wrong, they'll tell me. And I think that is it, is that, especially in Alex, he's very much, he's just always honest. Mm-hmm. He, I know if he thinks that I'm in bad shape, he'll tell me. Or he thinks that I'm here and I can't compete with the best, he'll tell me. Whereas, yeah, I think that's... A lot of people like to blow smoke up their own arses. Mm-hmm. And they like to have a coach who's just always very supportive, which is nice. But, yeah, if your coach is supportive and telling you you're in the best shape ever... 12 months of the year, then something's wrong. Yeah. And I think that's it is that the people around me very much give me the confidence because, yeah, they're just honest, hard-working people. Mm-hmm. And they're very willing to point out when I'm not in the best shape. Does that translate to potentially some of the other races you have? So, you know, you've, you've, you've outwardly stated that, you come to Kona to win every year and you'll be in the best shape and sometimes you might turn up at other races and you're not in the best shape and you'll, you know, you'll just get around and finish or do what you have to do. Does that also come from, you know, you realizing that you're going to show up and you're going to do your thing at those races and you don't necessarily care what other people say or think about those results? Yeah, I think so. I go to every race and I always try my best at every race. Mm-hmm. I'm on the start line, so I may as well give it 100%. But obviously my condition isn't at its peak. It's not. I'm not in Hawaii shape 12 months of the year. And I think a part of it is that ultimately 
for me the goal I, I know I'll look back in 10 years and it'll be my Hawaii results that I'm proud about I don't I don't worry about smashing every single race and being the best at every single race I care about being the best when it actually matters mm-hmm. and yeah it's very much for me I know I'll get the best out of myself if I focus on one big event a year. Yeah, and it's an interesting approach because I don't, you know, I can't really think of any other athletes who do it that way. You know, obviously everyone is focused on Kona, but there, you know, there's obligations to get points or to now qualify at certain races and then, you know, sponsor obligations and trying to, you know, there's so many other things that people put on their plate. Um that you might be, you know, one of the only athletes that really has this as the the one day of the year circled on the calendar. Yeah, very much. I think, apart from me, maybe Patrick Lang is similar. Yeah. I think if you look at Patrick, who's double world champion now, he's only ever won one Ironman outside of Hawaii. But mm-hmm. do you think he's going to look back in 10 years' time and be worried about <laughs> the number of races he won outside the World Championships? No. Yeah, no, probably not. Probably not. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, now, the other thing I want to ask about is is the BMC team. Now, I, I know that you – it kind of came out of left field that you were on the team um, and then all of a sudden on out of left field that you were no longer on the team. Can you tell me what happened with that relationship? Yeah, uh, I suppose I signed with the team the day after Hawaii in 2015, my debut. And yeah, it was sort of an exciting prospect. And yeah, I think, especially for an athlete just entering the sport, it was very good for me. You know, all of a sudden all the equipment's taken care of, you get a bit of money. And yeah, there's a lot of support structures within the team. And yeah, I suppose... I had a one-year contract, and during the time before Hawaii 2016, I suppose I had every intention of continuing the partnership. And, yeah, I suppose ultimately I don't really know exactly what happened. Either my manager at the time or the team manager of BMC decided to do something different. But, yeah, at one point I had a contract, then... I signed the contract, then I didn't have the contract, and then all of a sudden that was it. So I went from, yeah, trying to hand in a signed contract to, no, we don't want you anymore. And I suppose that was a big wakening up for me of how sort of cutthroat the business can be. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was a big learning curve. It was, for me, disappointing. But, yeah, I suppose two days later I signed with Cervelo for the coming year and yeah I moved on I moved on quickly because you have to and yeah since then it's my performances have been sort of yeah continually on the upward trajectory Mm -hmm. and have you you know did that initially give you a bit of a uh I guess an um like a a hit of motivation it was a you know well I'll show you like you didn't want me on the team I'll show you that I can do it on my own did that come through your head at all Oh, very much. I think sort of anger is a good motivating tool. I think it's underrated. You know, I think if you channel anger in the right way, it's very motivational. Yeah. And yeah, very much sort of 
after 2016, I got my head down and trained hard during that winter and then came out at Ironman South Africa in 2017 and was third there. And yeah, I think I got a 20-minute PB in my Ironman and it was probably the first sort of big performance I had was, yeah, six months after that disappointment of ultimately, yeah, getting dumped by the team. Mm-hmm. And then um, obviously clear progression from there, great result in South Africa, third in Hawaii, third again in Hawaii. Um, tell me about, you know, I, I really want to dig in more about that, the inner voice and the mindset because I f- I, I'm intrigued by, um, you know, how you approach your season knowing that you're, you're building up. Um, what does your inner voice tell you, you know, six months out from Kona, when you're looking at the guys on the start line and they're ripped up and they're racing fast, like what are you telling yourself? How are you kind of keeping yourself held back? For me, it's, I think it takes a while, but I've realized what drives me as an athlete, who I am as a person. And yeah, I know that mentally I couldn't be that focused and driven to be in the best possible shape in July, knowing that in October I need to try and repeat it again. Mm-hmm. I think some people, yeah, they can do it. But I know for me it's very much, no, if I try that, then ultimately I'll come to October and I'll feel pretty much burnt out. And, yeah, it's very much been learning who I am as a person. I'm very much the guy that after the World Championships, I like to sort of relax and, yeah, make more of a normal life. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, ultimately my partner isn't a triathlete. So, you know, it's nice to go home and spend some actual proper time with her and be with the people that you love and, yeah, doing sort of normal things, I would say. Yeah. Because ultimately they've made sacrifices for the last eight nine months for me, so it's nice to sort of get give back. Mm-hmm. And I I get the sense that you're kind of a patient guy, and you know you, you're you're patiently built into the race. Um, I think previously in Kona, you know, I think you're off the bike in eighteenth or nineteenth last year, or something like that, and you ran through to third. Like, um, is that something you tell yourself, or do you have mantras? Do you have things that you talk to yourself um, about during the race? You know, is patience one of them? What tell me about kind of what you're telling yourself during the race? Uh, I think sort of the driving thing that I keep on telling myself during the race is that you never know what's going to happen. Like ultimately, especially here in Hawaii, you know, people fall apart, people have to walk. So especially sort of the last 50, 60 kilometers in the bike, the bike is not my strength. I very much tell myself that I need to keep pushing as much as possible because on the run, you never know what happens. The race the race is never over until it's over. Mm-hmm. And I think, for example, the first year I was third in the energy lab, which is at the tournament point with like 12, 13 kilometers to go, I was convinced, oh, okay, at the best I'll come fourth because I was a long way behind Sebastian in third. I could three, four minutes. And I told myself I'd be fourth, but just to keep on running like mm-hmm. well because I was afraid of getting caught from behind. 
And it wasn't until like three, four kilometers later that somebody at the side of the road was like, you're cashing them, you'll, you can get thubbed. That all of a sudden, I'm like, actually, shit, I can't. Because <laughs> like, for me, I was super stoked, super happy. I was going to come forth. Yeah. And why? And then all of a sudden, I was like, oh, shit, like, there's still seven kilometers of running left here. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I can see Sebastian up the road, and he's struggling. And, yeah, that was sort of the one moment, that sort of three, four kilometer stretch between telling myself that I'd be fourth to someone screaming at me that you could actually be third. Be third yeah. Ever since then, like, it's, yeah, it's very much, come on, it's not over till you sort of hit that finish line. Mm-hmm. And is it, um, it seems like it's always kind of positive and it may not, it's probably not always, but it, it's that positive feeling of like, okay, fourth, um, you know, keep running rather than, oh shit, I better keep running because someone's going to catch me. Um, or is it a combination of both? It sounds like it might be both. Uh, it's a bit of a combination on both, especially sort of the later moments in the mm-hmm. race. Again, like fear is a good sort of driving force. Like, you know, catching people is motivational, getting chased by people is motivational it's very much and the thing is like your head is all over the place by this point yeah. you're so tired that sort of yeah you go from one extreme to the next and it's very much using using the motivation that you need at that particular moment yeah uh, yeah using the tools as they come or as they're needed that's a that's a good one now are you the type of guy that will give someone a pat on the bum and say good job when you pass them or is it, you know, head down, eyes forward, just no interaction? Uh, for me, it's tough. You never want to tap someone in the bum as you run by in case <laughs> five kilometres later they're running past you again, <laughs> which very much can happen in Ironman. Yeah, I've seen it. You've uh, seen it so much on the footage, right? You see the... You know, well done, good job. Here's a pat on the bum. I'll see you later. And then all of a sudden, that person is on the side of the road, yeah. like, head in a garbage can or whatever. So, yeah, for me, that's, yeah, I don't want to be that guy. So, yeah, it depends. Usually, I don't say anything. Mm-hmm. But if it's like someone that I know well or a friend, I'll just tell them to keep going. Yeah. I'll try to not pat them in the back, but just to say a few words. Yeah. If it's someone that sort of I'm friends with. Mm-hmm. Now, is there anyone in the field that, you know, you, you are friends with or that you respect or you've got a good relationship with that, you know, that, that would fit into that category? Yeah, for example, Joe Gambles. Uh, so when I first moved to Girona, he was there with his wife for six, seven months, just a bit of a European summer they were having. And, yeah, it was great to sort of move there and have someone – to show me around and to help me out and yeah we became good friends and yeah it's great to come back here to Hawaii and for him to be racing and to spend the 10 days two weeks leading up to the race training with him it's great to sort of share that experience with another athlete yeah good Aussie lad yeah, good Aussie lad. <laughs> um, that's nice. Now, um, Julia, the founder of uh, Unit Nutrition, connected us, which I'm very grateful for. And, and Unit Nutrition has been a, a great sponsor of yours now um, for a little while. And a lot of people who are listening probably haven't heard of the product um, before and, you know, need some ed- education on the product, but also the, the process of, of carbohydrate rinsing. 
Um, can you share a little bit more information about, you know, carb rinsing and how that fits into your training and, um, and the support that unit nutrition has been able to give you um, over the last year? Yeah, so I suppose carbohydrate mouth rinsing has been around since 2004 was sort of, I believe, the groundbreaking sort of study. So it's not a new concept, it's just other nutrition companies have never really bothered looking into it. But it's one of these, it's one of the rare things that every time they test it, they find the science to back up the results. It's not something that sort of you can argue about. It's No, no, every test you do, it works, like mm-hmm. bottom line is. And it's very much, it's a carbohydrate mouthwash. And as you swallow the carbohydrates around in your mouth, that releases carbohydrates uh, in your body. So it's not the ones that you're consuming, it's the ones that are already stored in your body that's released. Mm-hmm. So that means that you get all of an instant kick of carbohydrates. You don't have to wait to digest anything. And it's also been seen to help mentally, to sort of really switch you on mentally. So to give you an example on how I use it in training, uh, twice a week, I go to the swimming pool before I have breakfast to sort of really, A, because of I'm not a great person eating in the morning straight away, and B, to sort to go and use, uh, to train on low carbohydrates, basically. Mm-hmm. So I use unit rinse before I go swimming, just to sort of wake me up and to sort of release some of the stored carbohydrates that I have. And also sort of during the session, uh, whilst I get tired as well, to just sort of mentally bring me back. I think a lot of training is mental. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that's sort of maybe the greatest benefit I've found with it. And I know it sounds silly, but in my head I tell myself when things are struggling, for example, when I have a really intense interval session, I will never fail the rep after I have a shot of the mouth rinse. Mm-hmm. I will not fail. And I have this sort of belief. So when life gets tough and I'm on the edge, I take like it takes 10 seconds to have this little shot, rinse it around your mouth. I usually swallow it as well. And I just, I never fail the next rep. Mm-hmm. And that's very much, I, I suppose that's the greatest benefit I've had. And that's mainly because mentally I just, I don't know, I'm just that little bit sharper. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense to it people, does. but that's yeah. sort of maybe greatest. And it is a lot of the time in training, especially intense stuff, you mentally give up before the body gives up. You can always keep pushing. Mm-hmm. But mentally you start telling yourself it's you're too tired, it hurts too much. And the mouthwash just gives you that sort of mental mental stimulation to say, no, actually we can keep going. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's been the main benefit is really the high intense stuff. Yeah. Just, yeah. And I, again, endurance sports is so much mental based. 
Yeah. I think it's um I, I really like the way you put that. And I have been using it for a while now myself um, and using it as like this little reward. So these hard interval sessions or, you know, hill reps on a bike or some things that you kind of need to mentally like tune yourself in for, you know, rinse for 10 seconds, you get this like reward of like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to attack this next interval, um, you know, and, and instead of not looking forward to those sessions or those intervals, it's it's something that I now look forward to, which is really cool. Yeah, no, very much. I find very much the exact same, to be honest. It's almost like it's a like little reward that I look forward to. And I know mm-hmm. once I've used it, the next rep I'll get through, I'll manage. Yeah. Um, and then I guess, you know, thinking that further through, the fact that you're able to hit those intervals and those workouts, that's where you get that confidence. You know, you look back on your training log or you talk to your coaches and you, you think back to those hard workouts where you're not sure you were able to get through it, but that's what builds and breeds that confidence that you can tap into and rely on on race day. Very much so. I think you get the most confidence from those really hard sessions where, you know, halfway through, you don't know whether you'll get to the end. But when you do get to the end and you almost surprise yourself, that's what gives you confidence. It's doing something that you have doubts whether you'll achieve. And you do that on a weekly basis. And, yeah, ultimately you get to the point where you're like, shit, I'm here, I'm in damn good shape. <laughs> I look back and everything I've been through, all those sessions that really challenged me, and I never backed down, I never said no. Mm-hmm. I mentally got through them. So this is just like the end accumulation of it all is the biggest test next weekend. Beautiful. I, I remember hearing about Crowy and he would, you know, the night before and then, you know, the morning over breakfast before the race, he'd flick back through his training log that used to be handwritten um, and, yeah. and just look back over those sessions and, you know, use each one as a little bit of a, yep, I did that, I did that, I did that. And then, you know, walking into the transition area before the race feeling bulletproof. No, for sure, and I think that's the beauty of it's all online these days. <laughs> so no more books. I can just yeah, and I do. I look back in the training I did the last three four months, and I'm like, well, that's impressive. Mm-hmm. That's an impressive session. Uh, that's better than I did last year. And yeah, it's very much sort of, especially as you taper down for the race, you can have those sort of niggling doubts of well, I'm not really doing much now, like. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm not really training. And then you look back and you're like, well, that was a big week. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's just confidence. Yeah. Yeah. And ha- so with that, you know, what is what is the next, uh, I guess, seven days look like for you um, leading into the race? What's that uh, What's that going to be like? Uh, so today I have a easier day. And then I have over the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, I have the last sort of Session. I'm not even going to call them key sessions because all the work's done. But I have the last couple of key, not key. I'm I'm not going to use the word key. <laughs> uh, race awakening sessions. I'll call them. So That's trademarked now, by the way. Race David, awakening David sessions. Trademark those. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, tomorrow I've got a swim and bike. Two sessions. So the swim I'll do race pace stuff. I'll jump in the ocean here. 
And yeah, I'll do a session of eight to ten by a hundred strokes hard, like the start of the race, mm-hmm. followed by two hundred strokes at sort of medium. Just to sort of try and simulate the start of that the race next week and to get into the rhythm. And it's a tough session, but it's not that difficult. Yeah. Uh, it's not crazy. And then the bike workout tomorrow, I'll do three by 20 minutes at race pace. So for me, that's like 280, 285 watts. So I'll do three by 20 minutes. At, yeah, that's pace within like a three-hour ride. Mm-hmm. And that's very much just getting the body accustomed to race pace here in the heat and humidity. Yeah. And then uh, my run workout that I'll do this weekend, I'll do probably a workout 16, 17 kilometers, but I'll have in it two by five kilometers at 340 pace. So just a little bit quicker than race pace, but not that much. Yeah. And I'll do that. I'll try and do that in the middle of the day when it's at its hottest point, just to face the most difficult conditions possible. Mm-hmm. And then, yes, yeah, Sunday I'll have an easy swim as well, and probably an easy bike ride. Now, has so, your has your approach, um, you know, the taper and the these kind of sessions changed over the years? Like, there's you know, there's a there's a school of thought that says you know, do all of your training outside of the heat, so you're not draining yourself. But it sounds like you're happy to do it to to try and acclimatize yourself to that situation. Have you changed that approach at all or has that been your standard kind of operating procedure every year you've come to Kona? Uh, every year I've come to Kona, it's been the same. I don't like to get up early in the mornings. <laughs> so I know most people go out and run along alley drive at 6 in the morning, but you'll see me trucking along at 12, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Right. Because, yeah, for me it's... Yeah, I always feel much better later on in the day training. And, yeah, it's obviously hot and humid here, but you look after yourself, you drink the right fluids, and you'll be fine. And it's not as if I'm going to go out and run 35 kilometers. I'm talking my maximum run session will be 16, 17 kilometers. Right. It's not, yeah, it's not crazy, and it's very much, yeah, it's what I feel comfortable with. And, yeah, I always feel better later on in the afternoon training. Mm-hmm. And I want those positive sensations. Yeah. And you, it sounds like you're very aware. It's You're aware of what works for you and you're, you know, you're happy to forego popular opinion to, uh, to do it the way that works for you. Yeah, no, very much. I know what makes me happy, basically. I know what I enjoy. It's very much like my training setup in Jona. It's I train because I enjoy it. I you know, I go to just like a small local twenty five meter swimming pool and swim by myself up and down with all the old people doing their aqua aerobics. <laughs> I can say all because you have to be sixty five to get into the class. <laughs> so you and, that's like, only because you I tried won. to get in once, right? And they said no, get, in there once. get out of here, whippersnapper. I was looking for a girlfriend. <laughs> no, it's one of these things that, like, you have these ideas of what performance should look like. Yeah. But ultimately, the driving factor is, is it something that you'd actually enjoy doing? Because this is your life. This is something that, you know, I probably have another five or six years. And, yes, you can force yourself to do something, 
if you think it might give you some benefit, but only over the short term. You know, if you told me, David, if you got up at five o'clock for the next 12 months, you will, to go swimming, you'll swim two settings 100 faster. I know I'd get excited, like, great, mm-hmm. but then six weeks later, <laughs> I'd be like, oh, this is shit. Yeah. And, like, the negativity would start creeping in. Mm-hmm. So I think that's it. It's about the balance of what's, and I think that everything's sort of perceived performance almost, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's very much, there is a way that, yeah, you're in a lab, lab or some sports scientist says, this is exactly how you should be training. Mm-hmm. But if it's not realistic, then it's not realistic. Like, if it's not good for me, and it's not something that sort of inspires me, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Like, ultimately, you need something that motivates you 12 months of the year, and it makes you happy 12 months of the year. And especially as you get a bit older... And, yeah, you sort of maybe want a more rounded life. Mm. Well, I think it's good advice for anyone, not only in endurance sports but life in general. Like so many people are on the treadmill of, you know, more money, more this, more status, promotion here, you know, bigger car, new watch, what have you. And at the end of the day, it's not going to make you happy. Um, and it's better, you're better to find things that do make you happy. And it may be less money or whatever, less success, um, in air quotes, success, but it's a, it's going to be better for your longevity. Yeah, I think so. And I think especially in this sport, longevity is, it's great that this is one of the sports that you can do competitively up until 39, 40 years of age. You know, I was speaking to Joe Gambles yesterday and he's been doing triathlon like at a high level for 21 years. Mm-hmm. But he's did that because he's trained the way that sort of he likes, that he enjoys. You know, it's not like swimming where maybe you've got six or seven years at the top level and that's it. Yeah. The beauty of this sport is that you can have 20, 25 years doing it. So you may as well make sure you damn enjoy those 25 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very well said. And I think uh, I think Aneko is probably north of 40 and he's, he's on the start line this year. Yeah, very much. I think Aneko is 41. Yeah. Yeah, and he again, he's the type of, he's the guy that sort of just keeps his head down, trains the way that he wants to train. And he has a family, enjoys family life. And, yeah, he has been coming. I think this is his 13th Hawaii I was reading this morning. Yeah. And you only get that if you have passion for the sport and you're doing it the way that sort of you want to do it and you enjoy doing it. Yeah. And he has the results. Yeah, he's got a, had a great career, and I'm sure there's plenty more races to come for him as well. Now, you mentioned Joe. We talked about an echo. I mentioned Crowey. Like, is there anyone now that you know you would probably look up to or or consider your triathlon hero um, now that you've been in the sport a little bit longer? Triathlon hero? Ah, that's difficult. Uh, I think when you get older, heroes. It's a strong word. Uh, I don't know, like, I suppose I know Mario Mola very well. We're going to go back to ITU. Yeah. People, 
I suppose if, if you ask me for one person in sport that I respect the most, it would be Mario. Mm-hmm. I've known Mario for 10 years. We're good friends. And I suppose he was an athlete that sort of showed me that uh, it's very much about the training environment. It's like you have to have the training environment that you enjoy. And he's the you know, trip, three times world champion. And he's a damn nice guy. Like, this is the thing. He's such a nice guy. He's sort of, yeah. Mm-hmm. I suppose that's it, is that he was the person, and it's changed because he's younger than me, that showed me, yeah, to be successful at the sport, you have to enjoy it. You have to find the training environment that's right for you, not for anyone else. And see, it's, it's okay to be a nice guy. Well said. Very cool. Um it, I'm getting the sense, and this is our first conversation, I'm getting the sense that you're kind of a soulful guy. Like you have this little, you know, you've got an edge to you and there's a bit of banter there and there's a bit of a front, but you you know, you know what you want, you know what makes you happy, you're a soulful kind of thoughtful guy. Is, you know, is that a, a, an observation where I'm correct? Yeah, I'd say I'm sort of the guy, yeah, I know what I want and, yeah, ultimately if I go about doing what I do, I don't really need to sort of, I don't truly care that much about what the outside world perceive it as. Mm -hmm. It's very much sort of, yeah, I know what I want and sort of that's taken a long time to realize. And yeah, for me, it's very much, I want to be the best at what I do, but then I just, yeah, be surrounded by the people that I love and just to enjoy life basically and yeah I'm not one of these people that will bang on in social media about how wonderful things are and stuff it's very much yeah if I have to tell people every day how happy I am and how great <laughs> things are then maybe maybe there's something wrong yeah and does that do you think that comes from your background like is that a cultural thing is that a Scottish thing is that a you know your family or your upbringing like where does that come from I think a lot is maybe being Scottish. Uh, I think we're quite sort of, especially with emotions, we're quite reserved. We keep quite a lot to ourselves. I think sort of, yeah, I think it's growing up in a family. I think it's growing up in a family that I'm the only sort of sports person in the family. And, yeah, I, I suppose in my family, I've... Everybody's always been supportive, but they've never put me up on like a pedestal. Like, especially, yeah, I suppose with my family and my friends. And this is, I suppose the best example was the year I came third for the first time, so two years ago. Everyone was happy for me, but it was like I'd got like a job promotion. (laughs) Like we celebrated as if I'd got a job promotion. Whereas, I don't know, I suppose, yeah, Every race I did last year, the question that every commentator would say is, so has your life been transformed since you were on the podium? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, no. My life was good beforehand. I got a little bit extra money from sponsors afterwards. But ultimately, I just did the same stuff every day because life was good before and life was good after. It's sort of, yeah. Mm. I didn't think coming on the podium would be this sort of miracle transformation in my life because... I don't need it. I don't want it. I just want, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I know what I love to do, and I just go about doing it. That's really cool, mate. It's uh, I'm going to stand by my my soulful um, comment and observation because I think that uh, you, you know, <laughs> to put it that way is is pretty cool because I. You know, it's maybe it is a Scottish thing where I can just imagine your family, you know, pat on the back and well done, and then moving on to the next thing, watching football or grab a beer or oh, whatever. Well, it's very like. much so. And like, <laughs> this is the thing, yeah. Why should, yeah, ultimately, what a result in a race change how people perceive me? Mm-hmm. Like, it's a race. It's, I'm grateful that I can do something that's considered a hobby by 99% of the population. I get to do it professionally. Everybody else has to squeeze it around their proper jobs. I'm very fortunate in that situation. So, yeah, why should it just because I've podiumed at the World Championships change that? Like, ultimately, it just means that I can do this professionally for a lot longer, maybe. Yeah, carve out a few more years. Mate, it's it's uh it's really cool to hear hear how grounded you are, and I'm you know I've always been a, a bit of a fan from afar just because of the way you'd go about your business, but now even more so, you know, having this conversation with you, it uh it means a lot for me to uh, to be able to have that, especially so close to the race, and I know it is a big focus, so um I'll be watching along uh, eagerly next week and and wishing you all the best. Um, how do you how do you kind of imagine it playing out next weekend? What's your What's your prediction for how the race is going to unfold? Next week, I think, I think similar to last year in that Josh will try and drag away a group of eight to ten guys in the swim. Mm -hmm. But the difference is Jan is here this year and he'll be in that group and he won't be hanging around the bike. But I think it'll be interesting, I think. A big determining factor will be how Sebastian swims, how Cameron Worth swims. I think, yeah, the race next Saturday is going to be special. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be very much... People know they can't get off and try and run with Patrick. So if mm-hmm. you've got a weapon, like Josh does in the swim, like Jan and Keenley and Cam having a bike, you're using it. And I think... It's, now that Patrick's came and won back-to-back and he's shown everybody that, no, no, every year he's going to come here and run two top to nine. He's going to be the fastest runner. Mm-hmm. People are like, well, we need to use our weapons now. Like, we can't hold back. So I think next week's going to be exciting. If you ask me to choose one person, I think I would say, I think Sebastian. Like, I think he's had a second, great year. Right? For you, you first, Sebastian second. Yeah, yeah, of course, me first. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to win by 10 minutes. I'll just swim with George right away with Cameron and then just jog around one to the top to five. But I think behind me in second place, I think Sebastian can surprise a lot mm-hmm. of people. I think he's had a great year. I think the switch of coaches last year has really sort of motivated them. And, yeah, I think he's a big threat. And obviously, you've got Patrick and Jan, mm-hmm. but yeah, somebody tells me Sebastian is, you know, yeah, he'll be the top German behind me. Yeah, love it. He uh, he had a very impressive race in Nice. I know, you know, he didn't win and he was, I think he finished fourth or fifth, but he, the way that he ran and ran away from Javier and, you know, stuck yeah. with it, I think uh, I was impressed with that performance for sure. Yeah, it was very impressive. And I think, because he was so disappointing in 
disappointed in that performance. It showed that he really thought he'd do better, mm-hmm. that he knew he was in better shape than that. So I think that's the most sort of exciting but also worried aspect of that was that he was truly disappointed yeah. in that race result. Yeah. Well, he's a seasoned pro. He's been around for a long time, obviously previous champion as well. So you can never discount anyone who's stood on the top step or uh, or been there or thereabouts. So, um, yeah, I like your prediction and I'll be watching along. Um, any final words before I let you go and uh, and uh, enjoy your day? Not really. I suppose, yeah. Thanks for chatting. I'm looking forward to next Saturday. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. You know, for me, it's very much, yeah, it's the biggest day of the year. And, yeah, I suppose thanks, everyone out there, for the support. Awesome, mate. I, uh, As much as you feel grateful to get to do what you do, I feel grateful to have conversations like this. So, um thumbs up high five good job and i'm uh yeah i'll be uh, i'll be cheering you along next week mate so rest up enjoy the week and uh and all the best perfect take care thanks david cheers mate i'm glad for the opportunity to get to know david a little bit better during our conversation i could imagine his staunch scottish family giving him a handshake and nod of the head when he came home after standing on the podium in kona what an absolute classic If you want to learn more about David, you can check out the Inner Voice feature released October 11th. There's more detail in the show notes. I will be following David in Kona this weekend and wish him all the best. Traditionally, I know I've done a poor job of asking for your support, so I plan to change that. I'd love to hear your feedback. I love seeing people share screenshots on their favorite social media channels. Please tag me at TravMcKenzie and at InnerVoice.life. Sometimes it's hard sending the show out into the world and wondering who's listening on the other end. So if you love the show, please send it to a friend or a colleague and let me know where and how you're listening. It's nice to welcome new people into the community. If you have a spare minute, you can head to your favorite podcast player and leave a five-star rating and review. That helps new people find the show as well. Finally, thanks again to the team at Unit Nutrition for introducing David and I, and especially for creating a revolutionary and game-changing product for high performance, just like you and me. We all know how hard, intense workouts are the backbone of a successful training plan So if you have goals in your sport or simply want to experience a performance boost, Unit Carbohydrate Rinse is the perfect product for you. It's backed by science and it's proven in the field. You really have nothing to lose. Claim your free 24-pack today. Simply cover the small shipping charge and experience the difference for yourself. Head to unitnutrition.com and use the code innervoice. That's all for now and I look forward to bringing you many, many more conversations over the next few weeks and months from some of the world's greatest endurance athletes. You won't want to miss next week's show. Thanks again. This is Travis McKenzie and this has been Inner Voice.